Well, thank you, this song, yeah. Thank you for having me here this morning, guys. Um, this, this right here is like more nerve-wracking to me than anything. I'd rather, I could be in like a shootout and be more calm than standing in front of people and talking. But uh, this is what I'm called to do. So my name is Kurt Gerald, like Pastor Mary said. Uh, I'm an associate pastor over at uh, North Street Community Church down in Hingham and um, the director of recovery and discipleship over at the Anchor. So about like four years ago, Jeremy Scott, I approached Jeremy Scott about this position um, and uh, it, was, it was a pastor to addiction in the arts, and it was pretty specific. Um, and I just, I approached him on it about four years ago, and we kind of got started. Um, North Street is found in Hingham. It's a pretty, uh, like, affluent town, and the towns bordering it is pretty affluent, too. Um, and then there's Hull. So, like, it's, like, surrounded by pretty well-off neighborhoods. And then you have Hull in this peninsula that just, it just goes into the water and it's forgotten and it's just used for its pretty uh, stuff. But it's got a beautiful skyline. You know, you see, the, see Boston right across the water. Uh, amazing views, sunset, but it is not privileged like the surrounding towns. It's definitely not. Um, the opioid problem was definitely apparent before I even made it up there. And uh, it's definitely apparent while I'm up there. Um, it was their, their overdose rate what was it, four years ago, four or five years ago before when we were going up there, it's like per capita with like the big cities like Brockton and Boston and all that, you know, just not as many, but we don't have as many people, but it's, it's still quite, I think it was like 60 something for a small town like that. Um, so it's pretty, yeah, it was, it was pretty bad. Um, and Pastor Jeremy, he saw death and destruction right up and close actually in his own congregation. Um, they had a member uh, overdosed and passed away, and then they had uh, another couple members that were um, popping in, people popping in, and uh, he kept hearing Hull, like hearing that, you know, they're hanging out in Hull, or they're coming from Hull, or living in Hull, um, and they just kept praying for it. Um, but he kept, he said this to me, though, and this is why I actually messed with Jeremy. He said, uh, he said, we were tired of offering our thoughts and prayers, uh, and he, we wanted to help in a real and tangible way. Not, and I'm not diminishing power of prayer there at all. Like, prayer is serious. Uh, but after another incident, uh, they just decided they felt called to do more, pretty much. Uh, so they prayed, reflected, uh, and eventually felt called to hire a pastor who was to move to Hull uh, and minister to the people there. They didn't really even know what, what that was to look like. Um, and in their own congregation, in that congregation, they have they're pretty artsy people, so they said, all right, well, we could, we're artsy, and maybe we can help them through the arts. Um, so that was the initial lens through which we were to work or to get into the town, into Hull. Um, so that's just a brief little synapsis real quick. Uh, so you're, this summer, you guys, I guess you guys have been people coming in. Pastor Jeff is on uh, sabbatical, which is dope. That is awesome. He probably needs it really badly. He said, like, something like 30 years. I've been at this, like, how many years? I'm about to die. I don't know how he does 30 years. Um, so anyway, you guys, your theme is uh, our place in this world, uh, right? So I thought a lot about that phrase. When he said it to me, well, he didn't say it to me. I read it. Um, when, I, when I read it, I was just thinking about it. Um, and it, like, clicks with me because, like, my whole life, right, like, when you're younger, you're trying to find out who you are, right? You're trying to figure out who you are. Um, and I, I just might have gone outside the lines a little bit played a lot of, uh, uh, you know, I searched many places and played many roles. I grew up actually in a town 
like Hingham, actually. But, um, and I had everything I wanted handed to me, dead serious. Like I had anything I wanted. In my mind, I look back, I can see this. Like I was a spoiled little punk. And, uh, and then my dad, like something happened in my dad's business and went belly up. And then you were like, the not, I'm never going to say whatever. I, you know, I had everything I needed. My mom broke her back. You know what I'm saying? Like she, I, I had a roof over my head, food on my plate, clothes on every, I never went without. So I'm never going to say I was like poor, but like we didn't have like the rest uh, like the rest of the town. Uh, and that made me as a kid feel like, um, I sh it shouldn't have, but uh, it made me feel like less than, you know? I wasn't getting like the flashy stuff like everyone else. Um, kids in the school like literally would get like cars handed to them and stuff, that type of school, you know what I mean? And uh, so, and I don't, listen, we were just weren't financially able to. It is what it is, right? Um, but it, as a kid, I, I didn't see it that way. Because I had been spoiled, pretty, just to be blunt about it. Um, but I just never felt like I fit in, you know what I'm saying? I just never felt like I fit in. And then uh, I met alcohol one night, uh, and Jack Daniels, to be precise, a 15-year-old. Um, and right in that moment, like no joke, like 10 minutes into it, I felt okay. That feeling, like imagine having an itch for not like years, years, and then finally scratching it, right? Like just like, oh, this is what it feels like to be okay? I just remember that, right? See, people get it confused, right? They say drugs and alcohol are the problem. That they're actually my solution. That they were my solution for a long time, but then they just stopped working. I had to use more and more and more and more and, and uh, it was a very quick downslide for me. I didn't like play around, really. I, I, I got right into it. Um, yeah, just dove, dove head first. So years of me, I played many different roles, right? Many different roles in this world. The addict, homeless person, the dealer, the user, inmate, whatever else. Everything else in between you could possibly put a title on, right? It wasn't until, though, and this is real. So it wasn't until I'd reached this level. Um, you know how you could say, oh, if I just had this, I'd be okay? Or if I just had that? So I was like, yo, if I just had enough drugs, if I had just had enough money, if I just had enough X, Y, and Z power, really was power. It was this false conception of power, perception of power that I was chasing um, or control. But... Um, yeah, so I, shoot, what was I, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Yeah, just, you know, I, so I was seeking it, seeking it, seeking it, finally got this level, right? And it wasn't like, I was, no, again, known to Tony Montana, I wasn't like, I wasn't like some crazy Scarface guy. I, um, I mean, I, no, I, don't get it wrong, I did bad things, but like, I wasn't like, I wasn't that successful at it. Um, they say, they, they say monkeys can't sell bananas. Just, you know, it's, it's hard when you're using, honestly, my habit at the end, like when your customers are telling, me, telling you you got a problem, you probably got a problem. Shooting like 10 grams, probably sell for like 1,000 bucks a day. I mean, it was bad. I was absolutely miserable, though. Miserable, right? Like I was like, I remember, it was 10 years of use. I used it for 10 years. And, and then I finally reached this, and I and I'm like, why am I not happy? Miserable, running around crazy, right? 
So as I'm sitting there, right, walls closing in, cops closing in, people trying to get my stuff closing in on me, right? Um, everything just, just, everything was closing in on me. I fled to, so I learned how to beat the system at a pretty young age. Uh, so I signed into a, a treatment facility where basically you sign this confidentiality agreement and um, the cops can't really find you they, unless they go and get a court order. It's a very long process. So basically like, like a good uh, hustler, I knew the system and I, and I ran in there. Um, and in that facility, I continued to live recklessly. I didn't, I didn't change my ways. I mean, I wasn't planning on changing my ways. I was literally just trying to beat. So two of my people who worked for me got arrested and got let out. One of them got let out the next day and I knew how much he had on him, and I'm like, there's no way, you know what I mean? Like, they're not, that means he talked to the police. That's what that means. If you don't understand, that's, that means he most likely spoke to the police about me, I assume me. Um, so I check into a, uh, a facility, right? So I'm in there living crazy, still selling cigarettes. So, you know, just, I'm not gonna go down into all that right now. It's not even important, all that stuff that I did. It was hard, it was, I was miserable. I was a shell of a man. I was still, I was just destroyed. Like. And then I remember there was an old guy, um, he told me to try to stop. He's like, he called me out on my BS. He said, oh, geez. I, he said, like, why don't you try to just chill? Why don't you try? And after bugging out on him because of, of my, uh, he, he offended my pride. Like, what the f uh, he offended my pride. After bugging out on him, uh, I took it to heart. I listened to him and I tried and I actually got crazier. Um, you take the drugs and alcohol away from me, you're taking my one solution away from me, right? I have no other solution besides violence. Um, actually, real quick though, a couple years prior to me being in this facility, um, I had met back up with this kid, John Jay. He was my original heroin connect. He was my original uh, connection, uh, somebody you buy drugs from, right? And uh, so he was my original connect. and. Uh, I was living, I had just gotten released from Rikers and I was living in uh, this place, Damon House in Brooklyn. And somebody made me a Facebook page, because I, I had none of this, and uh, he contacted me through it and we met up in Manhattan, I think it was in Queens at the time. And Joe, I'm telling you, as soon as I saw this kid walking towards me, like yeah, he might have dressed differently and stuff like that, it had nothing, I'm telling you right now, it had nothing to do with the way he was dressed, talk. There was something different about this man. Do you know what I'm saying? There was something different. I knew him from the street. I knew how he was. I knew how he acted. I knew how grimy he was. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was grimy. Um, and seeing him walk towards me and then talk, and I know this isn't Christian, right? But his aura, something about him was like different, right? He was like shown almost, like shown. That was like, I, that was the only way I can, like he's shown. That's, it's weird. Is that the right word? S-O-H-N-E? Shown, shine to shine, past tense. Yeah? All right, word. Um, yeah? So he told me, honestly, I couldn't even tell you what he talked to me about. I remember he, talk, he said a little bit about God. I talked about the 12 steps and this AA stuff, about this God thing a little bit. We ate some pizza. We talked about, like, what he's been, he's been alive. I thought he was dead. Um, what he's been up to and stuff like that. He's a computer programmer and stuff. <laughs> what the heck? Bro, we were just smoked, oh my gosh. Um, so it was really weird to see him, right? And, and he I think he may have said Jesus' name once. I don't even think he may have said Jesus' name. Um, so fast forward, right? 
back to this facility where I'm bugging out because I'm trying, I'm just trying to do, like not use and sell cigarettes and do crazy stuff. Like I'm just trying to be a normal human being and it's driving me nuts. I'm going crazier and crazier. I'm trying not to leave, trying not to kill somebody, trying not to kill myself even, who knows, right? Um, and I'm not, there was this real crazy, there's this like, and we, I, it's too long to tell now, but there was this crazy God interactions happened. Um, and I had my cell phone, sorry, I should have told, I was smuggling my cell phone in like a good, good deal or two. And uh, so I had my cell phone and they asked for it this day. They were like, give me your cell phone. I was like, nah, and it was this, I was actually gonna leave. I actually called up my connect, I was done. I was ready to go back to work. And I gave up this cell phone for some reason. I don't know why. I know now to be the spirit. Like there was not, it was God literally just smack, like man, you know, just telling me what to do. Like I, I don't think he did that many at other places, but like, like he smacked me right there. And then this dude comes in, very first meeting, right? And I'm sitting in all these meetings, right? I'm sitting in all these meetings. Everyone's coming in telling me how much time they did in prison, what gang they used to bang with, how much drugs they sold. And I understand now, I understand why they were, because you know, maybe they just didn't know a better message, or maybe they just, but then they'd be like, and then I went to meetings and I got better. And I'd be like, what? How? I've went to a thousand meetings, dog. You can't tell me going to a meeting is gonna get me better. You can't tell me that, right? So I'm just sitting pissed off, angry, every single meeting, listening to this over and over, knowing it's BS. But I hear John Jay in the back of my head, and then this dude comes in, ready? The last meeting I was gonna sit there, I was waiting for a ride to go back to my connect. I was waiting for my ride. And I sit in this meeting, and this dude goes, uh, I'm not here to tell you how much time I did in prison, uh, how much drugs I sold. He said, he said, I'm here to tell you the only solution to your problem is God. And I remember being like, holy, like just hairs standing on the back of my head, because it was, I remember saying to that, like, I did, don't get it wrong, and that week I tried to get right, I asked, I would be like, how? Like, how? And they'd be like, just keep coming. Yo, I don't say that to nobody anymore because I want to punch them in the throat. Keep coming? How many more times do you want me to keep coming? Like, what do you want me to do? Tell me something. And then this guy comes in here and says exactly what I remember John saying to me, that it's God. I remember that John, I, I don't remember nothing else that John says, but he said, the answer to the problem is God. And this dude comes in here and says that right when I'm about to leave. And I was like, I bet. And I, I, I didn't, I don't even, I just picked his brain for like hours, hours. I didn't leave. I just stayed. Um, it was, I, I could tell you, that was a serious interaction. I went longer into that than I wanted to, but that was like, that was one of those moments when it was just like nothing short of God. And it was in a state-run facility, CK Post. I wasn't in no cushy like, um, I mean, this is a state-run facility, basically the same accommodations as, as the jail. You know what I mean? We're eating the same food, same bed, same all that. So it's, and I found God there. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't listen to nobody when they say, oh, you got to bring some, like, you can find God in a hole. You can find God in a hole. Seriously. So after this, right, I had this little taste of God. I was opened up after this interaction. I had this, like, conversation with him. I was really open. Um, and I just wanted to find out who this God was. 
seek after this God, right? The God that pulled me out of despair, that went into hell and dragged me out, right? This God that actually cared about me and wanted a good life for me. I wanted to know more about this God, finally, right? So I did a little exploring, and uh, Jesus just kept coming back, like, as the answer. Like, I did do other exploring. It wasn't like I went, I did go to a church while I was in one of those facilities. That might have had a good inter, that might have. You know, I went back to that church afterwards, and Joel, they didn't say nothing about Jesus. Like, I went, tried three times. And so, like, something hit me. Something must have talked to me. It was God, right? It was God doing his thing. But um, so I just kept coming back to God, Jesus as the answer, right? I don't know why. It was the message. Uh, and it was just, no, you know what? It was practical experience, too. Like, he said he offers peace, love, joy, all this stuff, and he gave it, right? It wasn't like some, uh, some slogan on a wall. Like, I actually experienced it, finally, for the first time in my life besides that first time I opened that uh, Jack Daniels, right? First time. So it just became like uh, my passion and mission, right? And it guides most of my decision to try to, to, to share and spread this message that you can live a way of life of peace and freedom and joy. Not all the time, not 24-7, let's be real, it's life, right? But like... It's crazy, it, and, and, this, and so like this, this like passion was, it guides something, I, want, I wrote down my decisions, but it only, I, like it only guides like, let's be real, only my good decisions, right? Only my good decisions is that guide. But I had to figure out how do I make this my life? If, if, I'm, if, this, if, if spreading the message of this freedom that Christ offers brings me like, I got to figure out how do I make this my life then, right? I figured out how to s survive in the street. I can figure out how to, um, I'm pretty sure I could figure out how to go to school. So I started looking at schools, and that was actually more terrifying than street, to be honest. More terrifying than, I'll tell you, my first class, I was more terrified than going into Rikers Island. I can spend like a year in Rikers Island over, like I was terrified, all these little kids sitting around. Because um, you just never know, right? But um, I kept saying to myself, though, I kept saying to myself before, like as I was looking up schools, because it kept giving me seminaries, and I just completed. My mom, my mom got me through high school. It took me six years in a three-year college, uh, three-year high school. They kept bringing me back because they liked my mom. All right, not be, and I was re respectful drug dealer, I guess. But, um, but in my head, right, I, and I still feel, to be honest, I still can feel this way about myself. I do actually feel this way about myself when it comes to school. Um, like I can't read, right? I tell myself I can't stay focused, or I can't. Or I tell myself you're a junkie, low life. Nobody's gonna listen to you, right? I would. Oh, I remember that, and I just kept like shoving it down and not listening. Uh, but then God told me the same thing that 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 He told Moses, right? That He's got me. It's not about my strengths or my weaknesses, right? It's about who God is. And he, who he is, is love. And that don't change. It remains the same. So I listened to the Spirit, and I applied to ENC. Before I even got my acceptance letter, I actually had packed up uh, and moved up here. And I thought that was like this brilliant act of God. Like, I thought, like, I trusted God and all this stuff. And I, like, looking back now, whoever knows, like, they take anyone to DNC, right? So it wasn't, like, a big accomplishment. No, I'm joking. But, um... It felt good. It, it was, it, you know what it felt good? It was the first people who trusted me. 
They didn't think I, you know, I, who am I, I, in my mind, I think everyone knows who I am. So they, you know, they're gonna give me a chance to not come up there and fly, you know, I'm not gonna flood their, their campus with drugs. Like that was a huge, I know that sounds stupid to some people, to me that was a huge thing. They treated me like a human being. Um, so yeah, anyway, they took a gamble, right? And, and I took advantage. This was the first time I actually took advantage of that opportunity. I had gotten a billion opportunities in the past, don't get it twisted, right? I had gotten a billion opportunities and I spit in every one of their faces, seriously. Um, so don't look, I'm not, I'm no one special, for real. I just got, I got lucky, I think. I got blessed, but. Um, anyway, they took advantage, right? I took advantage of the opportunity, and I'm, and I'm definitely indebted to those guys and teachers and women that they, you have no idea. You see this? I mean, I was raw back then. I was really raw and rugged back then. They had to deal with some crazy stuff, like some crazy thought processes that I had, like that I thought were okay. Like, I seriously thought it was okay to stick somebody up, but it wasn't okay to steal behind somebody's back. Like, how is either one okay, first of all? But it's the same thing. I had a messed up, um, uh, I trained myself. I had been trained in that way, right? So that became who I was. But anyway, so that's actually how I found this position was through, because Pastor Jeremy is actually, he was a professor in that school. Um, and one of my mentors pointed it out, and I like stalked him on my day off. I went into class, and he actually offered the job to somebody else and everything. Um, but up until this point, like I hadn't found like the perfect uh, position. Like I was seeking uh, jobs at this point in my career, like not career. I had no career. I was finishing up college. And I was seeking jobs, um, and I hadn't seen a perfect job like this. I've been praying for this job. I was like, God, like you know what it is. You know I, you know. And this was just perfect. Uh, I was actually up until this point looking for like the head pastor job, you know what I mean? Just for like, I don't know why in my mind I thought like it's um, stable and like it's always a check and it's always, seriously, that was my, that was my mind. I was thinking like that. And then um, like guaranteed work, right? And so I was like kind of moving away from my calling even though I knew where I was supposed to be, you know what I mean? But anyway, so the summer before my last semester at ENC, two weeks before, after our wedding, I, um, I'm working on a farm while I'm in college. I throw up my lift gate. I'm out on a delivery and, uh, and just pop, pop. And I just like um, lost feeling in my legs. And um, then like a burning happened. <laughs> yeah, it was just horrible. So I, then I went, it was some discs happened. Some discs happened. And uh, so I went on about two to three month painkiller run and other, other opioids, to be honest. Um, I was working on overdrive, that's why, to be honest. So I wasn't working on the farm no more, but I was still on, at the church, participating in services, meeting with people, running youth group, outreach events, gathering party, block party, all this stuff. Like, um, I was serving and I seemed to have everything, but I was getting high. I was, I was just like, because I was, I was hurting, right? So I'm just like taking two, three, four times the amount and hustling and just keep moving, right? And I'm miserable, I'm asking God why I'm miserable, right? Um, it's because I was serving, 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 serving myself, um, right? And all of a sudden I became Jesus. All of a sudden, I, the great I am, the great Kurt, right? Look at what Kurt's doing, look what Kurt's doing. Yo, that'll kill me in a heartbeat. That'll kill me in a heartbeat. I have to keep focus on that up at the anchor. So then, whatever, so I went through this life-shattering experience. I actually lost God in that experience. 
I went through school. I was like, did I just waste three years of my life? Is this all fake? Like, I, you know, I went through a horrible experience. I hadn't touched a substance about five years up until this point. Um, and this two to three month run took more out of me than, than 10 years did. And I think it's because I tasted of the freedom that Christ had to offer, right? And I was no longer living in that light, but I was killing myself. I kept begging God if he was real, because I didn't believe, to be real, I don't even, I didn't believe. Kept begging the air to please take me back, right? Fill me with your spirit. Let me experience that peace one more time. I know that sounds like I'm, I'm, I'm making God out to be a glorified shrink or genie, but that pain is real, you know? And I firmly believe something. I believe this to be true. William Booth, you know that dude? He started Salvation Army. Uh, he said, they say that he says this. I like the line. It says, nobody gets a blessing if they have cold feet. Nobody ever got saved while they had a toothache. Right? Like, that may not be necessarily categorically, categorically true, but I think it is true. I think he speaks something to human nature. At least it rings true in who I am as a person. I know that it speaks to who I am. Like, ain't nobody talking nothing to me while I'm in that pain. Right? You can't, I, I can't even see two feet in front of my face. You know? So God was my last choice. I tried everything else. Nothing worked for me. But God used people to show his love to me in tangible, real ways. Right? I was homeless. The, the same house that I sold dope at, the last house I sold dope at, I was homeless. He took me back in and said, I didn't have to pay a dime until I get a job. He said, just take, you'll cut the lawn. Right? Made me feel like I was actually, actually giving something back too. Right? Cut the lawn. Can you do this? Can you do that? Right? I was a human being. The friends that I was surrounded with in early recovery, they taught me everything in that community. I mean everything. How to open a bank account, how to open an Amazon account, how to order something online, how to, like, literally anything, anything. How to even be a friend, how to be a significant other. Like, they taught me everything in that community. On top of, sorry, the freedom that Christ has to offer, right? That's what they taught me, and then they, all, this, all this stuff behind. So back to me begging now, I'm back to where I'm hurting, right? Begging God or the air to take me back because I didn't believe, so I was begging God for belief as well. Um, I could see the mustard seed. Looking back right now, I could see the mustard seed in faith. I mean, obviously I had faith. Something drove me to talk to the air, right? So there's something there. Um, sorry. But what I really needed was community, a group of people who was going to lift me up, right? Like had I had, how I had back down in New York. Now, listen, I believe the church I was in at the time did the best they could. Um, they fired me and made me feel like a piece of crap, but that's the best. They, they thought they were doing it out of love. The, the word love was thrown around a lot. Um, but they, I can't blame them. They didn't know any better, right? So who, I can't blame them. They thought they were doing what was best. Um, that's how I worked through that resentment. Uh, so <laughs> what I needed was the same type of community that was welcoming me back in New York, though. You know what I'm saying? So I dove back into AA, the only place I knew that would give me that type of community. Um, got a sponsor, banged out the steps, but there's still this community aspect missing. So when I moved up to North Street and they hired me, I already had a vision as to what I wanted to create. You know what I'm saying? Or I had a vision and I was like, hey, God, like, can I have help with this? Because it was way too, I mean, it was insane. It still is insane. There's still a lot undone. Um, but I wanted to create something like I had in New York for other people. You know what I mean? What I had in New York was called Heroin's Anonymous, actually. It functioned everything like Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, literally everything. Same book, same format, same everything. Uh, only difference is we used 
we, you could use the word if you felt comfortable, wanted to, you could talk about heroin. There is funny, old some old timers in AA can get real like uppity, real uppity and forget like, and, and like if somebody says something about drugs and I'd be like, read your material. Cause like your, Bill, Bill W, they got high too, by the way. Um, so anyway, sorry. Uh, that's just a little. So that's why we formed Heroines, Anon Heroines Anonymous, right? It was, it, 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 it was just some place for everyone of the heroin epidemic to go, right? And this was back 15 years ago when, I mean, ten, when it was in New York when they were just dropping like flies. Like, it, like how you guys have it up here now, it was like that in New York back in the day. Um, so anyway, they gave me, uh, to me, this is exactly how they functioned, how the church was supposed to function. Am I going over? Am I, I'm all, I need to wrap it up. Um, to me, they function, shoot, uh, it was truly a welcoming place. It wasn't just a slogan. Uh, they didn't tell me to change at the door. They, they actually met me in the street, to be honest. Uh, and then they welcomed me into true community filled with fun activities, right? Beaches, movies, dinners, different things. I didn't know how to live or love life, right? So they showed me all that. But they also lived a certain way of life, which to me was foreign at the beginning, but I was willing to accept because they were willing to treat me like a human being. And they also promised me certain things, freedoms and such, as, and I just had to try some of these spiritual practices. Um, and as soon as I walked in, I got paired up with a mentor, sponsor. Sponsor is what we call them. Uh, and it's that person's job to take my hand and place it in God's hand, and they also um, equipped me to get ready to go back out on the street and, and be a witness uh, to the power of God's love. Uh, there's a lot of positives. There's a lot of negatives in the community, too, but um, that's, I just saw the church in action, so that's what, what we tried to create. First couple months up there, I just literally hung out in the streets and hung out with people and went just went to meetings, community meetings, and overdose calls with the cops and stuff like that. I really, like, I knew that was the front line. You got to get in the front lines, you know what I mean? Um, so we started to host, this was important. We started to host events that are meant to replicate or uh, produce organic fellowship. Uh, so the Anchor of Hull isn't a building, it's a people. Three, do we even need to do the video? It's probably three, it's, two, it's three minutes. It's too long, right? Just say it's too long. Oh, go ahead. All right. So we have a video. All right. This was made three years ago, by the way. Hull has a little bit of a stigma and a little bit of an unfortunate reputation. You know, Hull is kind of left away from I guess the South Shore, and it's like, oh, you live in Hall, where's that? No one knows it. It's a beautiful place, but like, when people do know it, they have a credit of like, oh, drunks or addicts. Or it's a, it's a very unique place. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful location, but it's, it's a peninsula, one way in, one way out. We just saw a, a, a great need up here for community, right? That we see the overdose rate up here is. I mean, it's, it's pretty high um, per capita. It's, it's up there. Everybody we spoke to was like, if you don't play sports or you don't, if you aren't in theater arts, there's nothing for you to do at home. So we wanted to fill that void because it's impossible to get through um, life alone, let alone if you're struggling with any of those disorders, right? Um, but the 12 steps dictate, um, dictate my life. Um, 
because the 12th step, uh, giving it away, right? Give the piece of But the problem is, is I have to maintain the other steps as well. And this work right here is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. It's the most physically and mentally and spiritually draining and a hundred disappointments, there's one person who makes it and it makes all that other work, uh, all that other heartbreak, all that other uh, just emotionally draining days worth it, you know? So we had to come up with uh, a mission and vision statement also because uh, you can't just tell people you want to just love on them. Like that doesn't, they don't, they don't really know what that looks like or what that means. Um, so the mission statement is, uh, what does it say? The Anchor of Hope provides a safe and sober, supportive environment for building community and recovery. And the vision statement is the Anchor of Hope is a community for all people who need help, direction, guidance, or just a place to come and talk. We offer sober activities and events, recovery coaching, guidance to resources and assistance to all individuals and their families throughout every aspect of recovery. It's very professional sounding. You could tell that I didn't do that. Or I, I talked about it, but they put it into good words. Um, yeah, so that's, that's those, those slides. And then um, the next, we just have a couple pictures of like what we, like a couple events, I think. That's uh, Recovery Coach Academy, where we train um, other people to be able to minister, well, do recovery coaching, uh, but we call it ministering to people. <laughs> uh, that's the next one is, yeah, outdoor movie night, tennis, holiday parties. Tennis lessons actually are taken off. That kid took me like, we had a, he needs more help, sorry. Uh, and there's one more. And Bible studies, community garden, hangouts, overdose awareness. There's a bunch of, honestly, uh, stuff that we do like that, community stuff. Um, discipleship, actually. Uh, but we, uh, sorry, we have all that stuff. And you don't need to necessarily be a Christian to be a part of our community. But we do have a very specific Christian community as well. Um, a group of people who feel called by Jesus to love on the world and point others to the power which is love. Discipleship is foundational uh, to what we do at the Anchor. Uh, we were using certain material, I'm changing it up, but we go through spiritual practices, implementation of spiritual practices, and then like the why, uh, so we use this book, We Believe, it's actually a Nazarene book, you guys be happy about that one. It's, uh, it's very uh, easy theology, I don't know, it's good. So it's just easy theology. So we take them through that material uh, and disciple them that way. Uh, we believe believe that the kingdom of God is here now, right? That's found, that's like everything to believe, what we believe in, right? It's not something that we're trying to obtain far off. It is here and now, right? And to share the gift, the gift which words can't really explain, right? The only way to explain it is like you finally have a place of belonging and there's just peace that surpasses all understanding, right? That's the only way I can really explain it to people. But in Christ, I found my purpose. I actually think, well, my calling, I think it's all of our callings. We're called to love our neighbors as ourselves, to put others first before ourselves, right? That is our place in this world. That's, I know this is just a generalized calling, and, and this can uh, look or transpire in many different ways, right? Uh, we can each individually be called to so many different roles, responsibilities, 
Um, there is, trust me, the, the options are endless, and there is no shortage of opportunities to serve people. But at the base of everything, at the core of it all, right, at all those different roles and responsibilities, at the core of it all is love. We are called to love the world and love each other. Jesus wrapped it up perfectly in Matthew. I think we read, did we read this? No, we didn't read this. Um, 20, at the end, in Matthew 22, when he says, uh, he's talking to the Pharisees. So Pharisees heard that Jesus had left the Sadducees speeches. So they left together. One of them, a legal expert, tested him. Teacher said, what is the greatest commandment in the law? He replied, we must love, uh, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, right? You must love your neighbor as yourself. All these laws, all the law and prophets depend on these two commands. So now we look in the book that we call our holy scriptures, right? The very word of God. The question's asked, what's the most important of all these writings, of all these teachings, of all this, of all that? And he sums it up. Love God, love others. Literally. That song is so dope. It's like, yeah, love God, love others. That's it. That calling goes out to all of us. That's our place in this world, right? We love others so much. That's what we're called to love others so much that God is glorified and others are welcomed into this family, right? That's the only goal of the anchor. I, that's my only goal of the anchor. They have, other people have other goals, but that, that's my only goal is that the people there can feel loved so much right? They start to ask, why are you loving me like this? Why are you treating me like a human being? In AA, they say the program's about attraction rather than promotion. Yo, I, I, sorry, I haven't slept in like four days, so I'm emotional. I'm not, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm not usually an emotional dude, but um, I ain't slept in four days because my kid's not sleeping, so. Um, so in AA, say attraction rather than promotion. Uh, there's some truth to that, right? We, gotta, we have to spread the gospel message, of course. Um, but I believe that if we live in a certain way, people will be attracted to that, that love. You know what I'm saying? That power of love. Our place in this world is to accept the love of Christ, not bury it, however, and, and spread it, whatever that looks like in your context, right? You're all going to have your own context. So that's like my challenge to you guys this upcoming week. Who can you love on? What does that look like, right? Ultimately, it could be anything from sharing a meal with somebody to sitting in a hospital bed, right? Sitting next to them in a hospital bed. Or just answering a phone, right? You, who can you practically show the love of Christ to this week so that not only do you get to experience the kingdom, right? Because you do when, you, when you're loving on others and his presence, but ultimately that God is glorified and somebody new gets to taste this amazing gift that we've received, that's just my, my challenge to you guys for this, this upcoming week. Uh, and that's it. We'll go with communion. So we do, um, I might OD on it a bit, but I, um, anytime we get together at the anchor, we, we do communion, like even if it's just like, if it's my people, they start, they do look at me like I'm crazy, but anyway, I say, yo, come in, let's, let's, share, let's share the table together, right? There's something special about this. Um, well, yeah, very special about it. It is the, the it some, some, summarizes uh, everything we stand for, 
the, the, the way that we are able to live into that life also because of what he accomplished on the cross, conquering sin and death, right? Not so that only so that we can have that forgiveness, but so that we can live into that freedom. There's actual freedom. So um, the night uh, before he was betrayed and uh, by Judas, right, who I firmly believe he's chilling with right now. There's no way you can't tell me Judas didn't repent. Um, Before Judas, you know, betrayed him or just played his role, um, they were hanging out after washing God, washing their feet, right? After washing the feet, and that was nasty. They They walked around in dirt and stuff, you know what I'm saying? God himself, creator of the universe, it always blows my mind, washed their feet sat down to have a meal with them, Passover meal. Uh, during the meal, he took the bread, lifted it up, and broke it. He said, this is my body, broken for you, for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you get together, do this in remembrance of me. And at the end, he took the cup, and he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant, shed for you and for all, for all, for the forgiveness of sins, and life everlasting. Every time you get together, do this in remembrance of me. So we just come to you now, God, grateful for this opportunity. Um, Yeah, another day alive, another day breathing. Another day where we can work through some of our stuff, God, and get closer to you. I pray that you, um, you help us this week as we really seek what you call on our lives, that lo- the, the love that you, co- that you poured out on us, God. Help us to pour it out on others. But help us not to take our eyes off of the power, which is you. Help us not to rely on our own strengths because we know where that leads, God. Please don't let me fall down that trap. Us fall down that trap again. And thank you. Thank you for showing us what it was to be love. Ultimately giving of your very body. Help us to do that and to be that to the world. And we pray all, uh, pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We take in, in our church, we just say this is the body and blood of Christ. He is here, he, a very tangible way. Just everyone take it together and look at your neighbors. You're here together with your people. Take it. Share in the body of Christ and the blood of Christ.